Hi everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into Grow With Grief, a podcast that aims to make the uncomfortable comfortable and open up the conversations around grief and loss. My name is Katrina, and together we will be hearing different stories from different people, how grief has impacted their life and what they've learned from it. And together we will create a community that normalizes the conversations around grief and loss. I recorded this conversation with Emily way back in 2020, and I am super grateful to now be able to share it with you all. Emily's story gives a really good insight into what it's like to live alongside disenfranchised grief. Her grief journey started six years ago when her dad had a stroke and a brain aneurysm in July 2014. Emily is grateful every day that her father survived his accident, but the parts that made him him did not. Her dad is now mentally and physically disabled, battling every day with PTSD, dementia, depression and chronic anxiety. For her family, Emily's father died in July 2014, but he also is alive. Emily's unique situation has found herself and her family challenging the idea of death entirely and the societal perception of it. I can't wait for you all to hear this conversation, so I'm just going to get stuck right into it. Hello, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's lovely to see you. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, So for anybody that doesn't know you, I'd just like to start with um, the guests giving a bit of an introduction about themselves. So I've actually only just met you five minutes ago virtually for the first time, so even I would love to hear just a little bit about your story, your experiences with grief and loss and yeah, how you came to be where you are today. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm 27 years old. Uh, As I very briefly mentioned, I moved to Melbourne about a year and a half ago. Um, I'm originally from Perth and that was just like my little home ground and decided to spread my wings and move over to the Eastern States. Um, I'm a practicing interior designer, which I love. I have wanted to do it ever since I can remember and yeah, fell into that creative industry field. And I've recently opened up my own business as a graphic designer, doing that in my spare time because I've got a lot of that now <laughs> in Melbourne. So there we all. <laughs> Um, But yeah, I've always been that, uh, I guess, creative mindset person. And um, yeah, in in terms of grief, um, I, yeah, first had my real batch of grief uh, back in 2014, July 2014. Um, My dad felt or fell very ill very suddenly, had a stroke and a brain aneurysm, which has now led him to be, uh, like, uh, I guess the classification would be mentally disabled. And uh, it was just this really weird experience of emotions and I'm still learning through it today and going through it. And it's, yeah, really surreal to have someone, because he's still alive, but he's not the same person that he was. So you go through those emotions and those same feelings of grief and it's just really confusing because they're still there and you can still talk to them and yeah. So that's in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, I I can imagine that would be really hard. I think when people initially think of grief and loss, they think of a person passing away, but that's not always the case. You know, we we can grieve so many different things. And for you, did you recognize that when your dad had his stroke and then did it, how, how did that impact him? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, so um, it went through stages because when he first had the stroke, he was in a coma for, um, 
it was 10 days. And um, when he came out of that coma, it was, he didn't recognize us and he was completely disassociated with um, what was going on around him and very, very confused. And then I guess in, a, in a, like a couple of months, he started recognizing more things, got mobility back and it was just very um, gradual in what he's going through. And he's still, still going through that and still like some days he's better, some days he's worse and yeah, it's very back and forward. Um, so main, the main impacts was obviously on the brain, his memory, he's now classified with dementia. He also has PTSD from this experience. So it's like that disassociation with what's happening with him, as well as the physical trauma as well. Um, his left-hand side, which is quite common for people, stroke victims, doesn't have a lot of movement in it. Um, and my mum is also his full-time carer, just in the terms of he can't, live day to day as like a normal person would he can still like you know have a shower by himself and do all those things but he just needs someone there um to help him and yes i guess that, i hope that answers your yeah. question <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no no it did um so did did you recognize the way that you were feeling after all of this has happened was grief that you that you were feeling or did you think it was some, something else I thought it was something completely else and it was really weird because when it all first happened I think and like it's it's very much so what you just mentioned as well people people associate grief with with death and that actual like you know there someone has passed but then I guess it's like well what's your perception of death and um and then it kind of goes into this you know you go into this mindset of like well he's not technically here anymore but he is and you almost you're so torn by that and like you're torn with I was torn with that with my emotions going well what am I feeling and it's just this overwhelming sense of confusion and you're you're grieving that loss of someone but then you feel ungrateful because he's still there and like he's still um alive and yeah I remember when it all first happened it was you're not only dealing with um yeah, like someone who's going through that, but you're also trying to process everything and you have like doctors telling you what's happening and these medical terms and you're so overwhelmed with so much new. It was just so much new and you had to learn so quickly. Whereas like, um, and I have experienced like grief of like the death of a loved one. For instance, my grandpa actually passed away in March, which was three months before my dad had this accident. So we were still deal dealing with that grief then. And it was a very different comparison of emotions because when grandpa died, it was like, okay, he's passed and there's, it's kind of like a, a line, there's a line in the sand that he's gone now. So you just have to process it. And mm -hmm. it's like, you, I know everyone processes it in different ways, but it, yeah. And, but then with dad, it was like, he's still here. And it was very confusing. I think now that I'm older and I've kind of gone through it all and I'm, still dealing with it I can recognize that okay this is a sense of grief and it, grief and it is a sense of loss yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and did you know that when when your dad was in the coma did you know that he was gonna wake up was or was were you like unsure and you were kind of just waiting to see what would happen because I could imagine that would in itself bring up those feelings of of anticipating almost grief and yeah. yeah it was um 
yeah, like I remember when he has first had it and then um, obviously called the ambulance, rushed to the, rushed to the hospital and the doctor sat us down in this room and the room was basically, uh, it's, a, it's a room designed in hospitals for those harsh conversations that you know aren't going to be good. And my little sister, myself and my mum, we got pulled in there and we were just so shaky and they were like, yeah, it's a 50-50 chance of him living which is horrible statistics and you just yesterday it was all normal. Mm. And then when he got put into, it was in this coma, it was induced for us for a part of that time frame because his brain was just so damaged from the stroke and slash aneurysm. And um, yeah, no one could give that answer whether he was going to survive through this. And it was really just so important that those 10 days that, could be one way or the other and mm. we were just sitting there praying that it was going to be the other way um but yeah it was a lot of unknowns and even when he came out of the coma it was we don't know if he's gonna know where he is we don't know if he's going to think that he's going to be five years old and they can't when, it, when it's matters of the brain it's a very confusing things and doctors are very very vague about it because the reality is no one really knows <laughs> it's insane and yeah, there's still a lot of unknowns. And um, still to this day, he's definitely stabilized in his condition. Um, still, like I said, a lot of problems with memory, a lot of problems with mobility and um, suffering from extreme PTSD from the incident, but no doctor can still tell us if he's going to get better or if he's going to get worse. And it's just a waiting game. So, yeah. How did the um, feelings of loss of who he was impact your life yeah it's it's made me a hell of a lot more understanding like ah i just and it's made me very like empathetic to everyone that goes through really harsh things and that doesn't even necessarily have to be associated with the death of a loved one or someone that it's just someone going through any difficult time you just can relate on a whole other level and it's, um, yeah, maybe an incredibly understanding person. And um, so I think that from like a personality perspective, but then it also just completely shifted my priorities. I mean, this happened when I was 21 and I don't know, I feel like your early 20s are your most selfish years. You're just, I was in uni at the time and I just had all these like massive dreams and every time, and I still do, but like, you know, <laughs> but I remember you kind of wake up every day and you're like just thinking about, all right, what am I going to do? And there's a lot of eyes, there's a lot of me's and, and that's, and that's, and there's, you're meant to, but then when a person that you love goes through this, that whole priority system just changes and it just becomes no matter what, no matter what you're doing, that person is your like number one priority. And even if you're doing other stuff, you're still in the back of your mind, you're thinking about it. And yeah, that's, mm. I guess in a nutshell, how it kind of changed. And my family dynamic as well changed a lot. Um, yeah, my mum obviously became like a full, full-time carer. And um, like her job before that, she was a teaching assistant. And she's still able to do that like once or twice a week now, now that we've come down the track and have worked on it. But um, yeah, it was a complete mm. shift for her as well. How she handled that, oh my God, my hero. She was, oh, so much grace. She was just the pillar of our family to go through that. And, yeah, it's, um, it was crazy. And I bet that, you know, you being there, that was probably a really big support for her and for your dad. And, 
yeah it's 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 i think when when something traumatic happens in our life it gives you a whole new perspective doesn't it mm. it, it, it opens your eyes yeah. to, you know windows that you never saw before um and as you said, you know, at the age of 21, you had a lot of eyes and that's completely normal and okay and what you should, should do. Um, just, you know, think about what you want to do, but it does, it does change that. So what has been your biggest lesson that you've, you've taken from this experience? Oh God. They can what be more one. <laughs> <laughs> what a question. My biggest lesson. Um... I think ask a lot of questions. I don't know, like ask a lot of questions, do a lot of research. And I think that might be very specific to my situation. Cause as I said, we had no idea what was going on when this first happened. And, and it was just, you know, we had to find and research very quickly, but it helps you understand the more questions you ask the more people that you talk to, it makes you, understand more and it removes a lot of like the fear from what's going on around you if you can understand it better um and i think it doesn't have to necessarily define your life like i was after that happened to me i was really worried that like i, I thought i would never be able to move to melbourne because i was like oh i've got to stay in perth and i've got to take care of mum and i've got to take care of dad and it's like a lot of pressure that your whole life is going to be defined by this moment and it definitely doesn't have to be the case it can just be like you know this story that you have and you kind of just work with it and you know i don't know i think it's it can be empowering for you and mm. yeah it's not the it's not the end yeah <laughs> Yeah, and that is so true for all forms of grief and loss, I think. You know, it, it's, happened, it's happened and it's a part of us, but it doesn't define who we are. And we then have that choice as to the decisions we make afterwards and how yeah, exactly. afterwards. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a lesson that I hear a lot of people say. It's something that they've learned from, from what they've experienced. I think that's great. Um, that you're able to take that away from it. Did people around you recognize that you were going through a form of a grieving process? Or was there any like tension there? Any trouble with relationships? I'm so glad you asked this. And it's something that I thought about before coming onto this podcast and was like, because um, I guess the short answer is it felt like people didn't know that we were going through that. But then I, don't, I was really, really young. And like, I have an amazing friend group back home in Perth and they were very there for me. But it's a different kind of um, support that you're getting. And a lot of people would say to myself, my sister and my mum, are like, you know, you're, you must be so grateful that he's alive. And it was a lot of and we are, and we, of course we are, but it was also almost dismissed because people would be like, well, he's alive. So, you know, that's okay now, but it's not the case. Like he's, he's very much so alive, but a lot of people don't understand that my father passed away in July, 2014 for me. So in a way, a kind of like my mum and my sister, I understand that completely because they were there and went through it. But a lot of people don't understand to that level. 
because they're just like, oh, but he's there every day. At least you get to see him. At least you get to talk to him. It's like, no, I'm talking to this completely new person. And, and a, a new person that I've had to create a completely separate relationship with that was nothing like the relationship I had with my father before. And it's really strange because it's like this man that I knew my whole life and have such cherished memories with. And now I have completely new memories with this person and I've had to build that relationship again. And then the other layer on top of that is that you're dealing with a mental disability and he's not actually really capable of creating that relationship. And it's so it's bizarre because you almost have to accept that you have to live in his reality and just go with it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's very hard to explain it to people mm. and they'll ask you like questions and whatnot about what's going on with him. And you basically don't even know cause it's in the brain and you're like, ah, how do I say, how do I explain this in layman's terms when it's taken me, you know, almost six years now to still only just tap the surface and figure out on what's going on. Mm. Yeah. It's really, it's, yeah, it's a bizarre thing to explain to people. And a lot of people automatically feel pity for you. Yeah which is, yeah, and I try to, I always seem to frame it in a dose of almost sarcasm and humour, and that's just who I am as a person. Like, if you don't laugh, you'll cry, and <laughs> and it's just, I'm at the point now where it's like I said before, it's just a part of my story, and I'm so grateful every day that I do have my dad here still physically. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a bizarre thing to go through. Do you like it when people ask you questions and and you know do you want them to take an interest in it yeah I do and I'm such a chatter as well and I am very I guess non not afraid of expressing what I've kind of been through like I don't really like I'm no secrets kind of person I guess but um yeah I like it it's nice when people kind of show an interest and they ask like the questions because it also helps you kind of go through with it and deal with it. Like if someone asks me about my dad's condition, I'd be like, oh, you know, he has PTSD, but he also has dementia. And, and they'd be like, oh, like, what does that mean? And you kind of have to think and go, oh, what does that mean? Mm. And then you're learning as you're going and it just helps the healing process and acceptance. And yeah, but it's funny, like a, a lot of people, won't ask or they'll cut the conversation very quickly because they feel awkward and it's like little promo but why I love this podcast and it's like making it normalized and you know people should talk about it I think every person has some form of grief that they're dealing with and it's not about measuring what's worse or who's gone through a worse situation and on a scale it's just I don't know it's just a, an emotion that a lot of people don't discuss mm. Yeah, yeah. And by talking about it, it validates the way that you're feeling as well. It it takes away that essence of, you know, when people, for example, when people were saying to you, oh, well, at least he's still here. Well, yes, but that doesn't invalidate the other ways that you're feeling as well. Like you can feel grateful and also scared and upset and grief at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like you feel, yeah, you do. You feel that ungratefulness and you're like, oh, all right. Is <laughs> that hard for me to navigate? Yeah. Um, 
It was, it was. And I knew they, I think the overarching idea is everyone always means well. And like everyone always wants to know that they just support you and that's all that matters. And they, you know, it's just a, it was just such a unique situation. A lot of people don't know how to be there for someone who's going through something like that. And yeah, I just knew they, I knew they always meant well, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And it's just, but like those thought, those sentences always play in your head and then you kind of have those inter that internal dialogue and I think there's almost like a you have there's like an expectation of how you should act when you go through these situations and when like people say things like that to you then you think oh am I behaving like I should be in this situation like am I am I fulfilling the stereotype of someone who was going through something traumatic and then you're like oh god am I aligning with the proper proper emotional response to this and it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, jump, but yeah. <laughs> so um if you could i've got a bit of a two-parter here so if you could give advice to a person who is experiencing grief and loss for someone sim similar in your situation so a person who is still there but they're not the same person that they were um what would their advice be and then the second part of the question is what advice would you give to a person who's trying to support someone experiencing mm. Ooh, <laughs> I think the first part I would say join support groups with like like-minded people just just or like people that have gone through that and that was so available to us we had to dig for it a little bit like mum oh my god she digged really hard to find the appropriate groups and the appropriate people to talk to just to make you feel like you're understood because a lot of it felt like was, you're just so misunderstood and like no one can relate and that's very isolating even though people you know you're not like we were so supported, but it's just hard not to feel isolated during that time. Mm -hmm. um, and then like just talk when you're ready and like try to try to like get out of your own head when you're thinking about the appropriate way to act. And if you feel like, you know, you're having a conversation with someone and you think about, oh, like I really want to talk about something that you know, in my instance, like dad did here and it was like a really nice memory, like, you know, just kind of work it into conversation. It's normal. You've got to normalise it. And it might feel weird the first couple of times you do it and, like, you get these puppy dog eyes from people going, oh, like, because they're <laughs> sorry for you and you're like, nah, I'm just going to keep doing it. And then eventually it's just really, I feel like it was really healthy for me to just keep talking about Dad and the state before the stroke. Yeah. Um, and then second part are advice of people giving support. Um. I think like, don't be afraid to talk to people about it. Mm -hmm. Like ask the questions, engage their emotional response. If they're happy with it, if they want to keep talking, then, um, you know, maybe push it a little bit further. And, or if they're not, if they kind of like look closed up and uncomfortable, then kind of gauge from there. But I think like for me, every time someone asked me about dad, I really, really appreciated that. And sometimes like I would barely answer and be like, you know, it was good that's it or like just dismissive of it but you know I'd go back later and be like, it was like almost it's like a feeling of relief just being able to talk about it and having someone ask you whereas you working it into conversation and feeling almost suppressed that you can't talk about it um 
And then random check-ins is always nice as well. Cause like, I think, you know, it's six years now and like um, my friends and whatnot, they still ask me and like, they still check in on me about it. And I just really, really appreciate that. Especially like my best friend, Amber, she will just always drop in and go see him and have a chat. And it's, I'm not even there. I don't live with my parents anymore. And she'll just go in and talk to him. And like, it's just so nice. Cause you know, she saw what I went through and she's been my childhood friend. And like, she just, she grew up with him as well. And it's just really nice when your friends go that little extra bit to remind you that they still remember you deal with it every day you're remembering it every day it's on repeat and you think have people forgotten and it's just really nice to have that random little reminder that no they haven't like they know and it's yeah that would be my advice yeah great advice random check-ins are always the best they're just yeah even if you don't respond or even if you you know you're feeling fine at that point in time when you receive the random check-in whatever it is like it does just it makes all the difference. It makes you feel a little less lonely. So yeah, great, yeah. great advice. So how can people connect with you if they want to have a bit of a chat? Are you open to chatting about these things? How can they? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, as in people listen to the podcast or yeah. are you, Oh, excellent. All right. That was a blonde moment. Sorry. Drag <laughs> our, our hair color through the dirt there. Um, yeah. Socials, Facebook. I, I think I reached out to you by email. That's fine. Like I, yeah, I love talking about it and it'd be so great to know if I could help someone who is in the like initial stages of what I was going through and just be able to be in here and let them know it's going to be okay. And what I went through and yeah, by all means, and I'm, it's like a little goal for myself to start talking about it more as well. I just, yeah, like if you've been through something like that, why not share it through the world and help other people through it? Amazing. I'll pop all your handles and details and stuff in the show notes so people can yeah. with you if you <laughs> like a little chat. Um, but before we say goodbye, have you got any last words of wisdom or just anything that you want to share with the people who are listening? Oh God, this is so much pressure, Katrina. <laughs> <laughs> I like to add the little pressure at the end. <laughs> um, I think it just be touching on what I said before. Like it does not have to define you. And I'm a massive believer that life is just full of stories and it's just about experiences and, and things that you can tell people and learning and, it, you know, you have happy times and you have sad times, but at the end of the day, it's just a really amazing story that you're going to be able to tell and share and change someone's life. And yeah, that's my outlook. Thank you. Thank you so, Thank you so much for having me. No, it's honestly, it's been such a pleasure. And I know this is the first time that you've really outwardly show, shared, uh, shared, shared your story. Um, so it's, it takes so much courage, even if you do feel comfortable talking about it, it does take courage still. So really grateful that you've done this. And I know that there's going to be people listening who can relate and take so much from it too. So thank you. Thank you. And you're so welcome. So much fun. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I invite you to also come and be a part of the community by connecting with us on Instagram at Grow With Grief. Before we go, I want to take the time to thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in and being part of a community that opens conversation, raises awareness and brings individual perspectives and stories to the forefront of a topic that is often avoided and treated as uncomfortable. The conversations that we have may sometimes bring your own emotions, memories and triggers to the surface and I want to encourage you to know that you are not alone. If you or anyone you care for is in need of support, please reach out to your local support line or if you are in Australia, you can contact Griefline by phone on 1300 845 745 who are available from midday to 3am every day.